Ton 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 Well, well, if it isn't McGuff the crime dog, back for another test? I think the first one was defective. The plus sign looks more like a division symbol, so I remain unconvinced. Third test today, Mama Bear. Your ego is prego. No doubt about it. It's really easy to tell. Is your nipples real brown? Maybe your little boyfriend's got mutant sperms, knocked you up twice. Silencio, old man. Look, I just drank my weight in Sunny D, and I gotta go pronto. Well, you know where the lavatory is. You pay for that pee stick when you're done. Don't think it's yours just because you marked it with your urine. Is fertile myrtle, minus or plus. No, no, it's not seasoned yet. Take some of these. No, there it is. That little pink plus sign is so unholy. That ain't no etch a sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. <laughs> Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And we just couldn't help ourselves. Uh, the last time we spoke, we were discussing a lot of different films, and then the topic of Juno came up, and, and we just kind of had to uh, call an audible. And we just couldn't help but bring the wonderful uh, 2007, charming little independent film, Juno, uh, into the conversation. That's what we're talking about today. Do you feel like, uh, I mean, I think we're eventually going to get into the backlash anyway. Uh, do you think that part of that is calling this like an indie film? Yeah, in that <laughs> that's because there was that. I remember when this came out, um, you know, a fellow film fan uh, kind of bemoaning uh, this film. And he, it was funny, like a lot of it did not center on the actual content of the film, but he was lamenting uh, this kind of in the same vein as little miss sunshine as uh being like you know independent uh only for maybe um awards campaigning type material but it's like you know you have movie stars you have uh and both of these uh you have sitcom stars with uh two cast members of the office and i mean a very small part here in juno where you have uh this the swarmy 
uh, convenience clerk, kind of setting up the uh, the premise of the film that uh, Juno discovers she's pregnant. But I think that probably uh, increased the initial backlash against it was this sort of this is not like an indie spirit film like you know in the uh the truest sense of what the what they want with that those award shows no not at all and and this is going to remove any kind of street cred i have or any kind of film or tv cred but isn't alice janney a big part of the west wing as well yeah yeah i mean she uh the jackal <laughs> I I think you would yeah uh, you would you would dig it uh and I'm 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 shouting out to the the West Wing super fans I guess with that particular reference uh hoping that you will be intrigued enough to define that that clip of her uh, performing the the jackal but uh yeah I mean that's, that's to me part of the charm of the film and why it's one that I revisit and as you said we just couldn't help ourselves this was not in the initial selection of our trilogy which you know we'll we'll hold back so people can discover along with us what our our theme is as we go along i think this one's maybe a little little bit easier this month to see the the through line um but goodness uh when you have allison janey and jk simmons as the parental figures in this i mean it is just stacked from from top to bottom already kind of alluded to dwight from the office getting a a walk-on part here uh so this one is um it's a lot of fun and I think our shared enthusiasm as we were both defending, I guess, my <laughs> cinematic slur against Ellen Page by <laughs> continuously referring to her as Juno. And then we both discovered that we're really into this film. Uh, look, we lost all street cred anyway. It's 2020 and we're we're kicking off a new month with Juno. I, I don't think we have any any street cred, but that's that's fine. If we did, I think we'd have like a Safdie Brothers film opening up. Uh, <laughs> this trilogy <laughs> one of the things about you're right and I, I i distinctly remember me giving donnie darko quite a bit of flack for being called an independent film so you're mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i i do take that back juno is probably not an independent film just because it doesn't have uh robots transforming into other robots in it <laughs> i'm glad that you mentioned the parents right off the bat and that's one thing i've got written down on my notes here is that jk simmons and alice Shanney are just wonderful together that they rival stanley tucci and patricia clarkson in in easy a like i know that i feel like that movie gets a lot of love for that parental unit but the one here is is quite solid as well and and you could easily see jk simmons turning into you know whiplash professor when when juno reveals uh, uh that she's pregnant and and he keeps it together it's funny though i always remember that scene as far harsher than what it is and i guess it's because the you know maybe the first dig like i mean the most of the scene is confusion from his part but you know the scene resolves with him shaking his head and sort of bemoaning like you know i thought you know you're you're just weren't this type of girl basically to to find yourself in this particular predicament at this age and you know she counters back with i don't know what type of girl I am yet, that sort of thing, which is like a, it's a brutally honest, I think, delivery uh, and sort of, you know, undercuts everything. But Allison Janney is definitely the pro in that scene. And I always forget how she's just like, all right, here's the next steps. Here's what we got to do. This is like, like she doesn't take much time, at least when the character of Juno, not the actress, that's Ellen Page, you know, (laughs) we will make a distinction this time. Only when she leaves the room, do they have like the sort of talk about, wow, you know, this is the situation we're in, but she puts on a very strong front probably, you know, I think it's 
it's the, the female perspective of knowing how tough this is uh, and how tough it is for a 16-year-old to reveal this to, as you mentioned, soon-to-be whiplash. You know, she may expect, you know, a symbol to be thrown at her head. Exactly. <laughs> <for> this, <laughs> this revelation. But, you, you know, you mentioned Easy A. That one, not as much blowback. I think without Juno, there is no Easy A. I have to imagine that because of the success of Juno, there's very similar style and tone with uh, the sort of Diablo Cody rat-a-tat-tat sort of dialogue for young people that we're not used to. Uh, but I think on film Twitter, Easy A, that would have given us street cred, Web. Yeah. If we had led with that. But that's not us. No, not at all. We're, we're, we're all into the populist entertainment. <laughs> Juno? <laughs> and, and you know what? You're, I think you're right. Because Juno, if there's one word that I can so that sums up this movie, is idiosyncratic. It's got a lot of identity, whether it's the music or it's the dialogue, that, that really quirky slang that's used nowhere else in the history of time outside of the Junoverse. Uh, I'm I, glad I, you said that because I felt, even watching this in my 20s, <laughs> I'm scratching my head like, did I miss this? What <laughs> is this regional based like you know dialect and <laughs> what's going on here? And I, I remember I'd already seen this and I was very positive on it. And I insisted uh, my mom go see it because she was a big fan of Quentin Tarantino. She's she really got me into movies uh, and at a far too young age had me watching Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. And I thought, oh, she'll be all over this because that's heavily stylized uh, dialogue and the characters all speaking the sort of tarantino uh, language and she struggled with this she really did because she was just like what in what way though it, in dialogue in plot in in, in what terms dialogue I, I think she i think she found you know the juno character uh to be a bit much i mean they they sort of i'm trying to think of a less aggressive way to put this but they kind of slap you in the face like this is the as you call it the juno verse yeah <laughs> this is the world in that banter back and forth with rain wilson uh, you know, he's calling her home skillet and uh, she's talking about chugging the Sunny D. And like, I, I think my mom was just like, I don't like this obnoxious little twerp. And I don't like that the other characters kind of sound like her, although Polly Bleeker does not. I think he's the one that for good reason stands out as far as, you know, he is a <laughs> in, in, the, in the Junoverse. He is the stoic Han Solo figure that is, that is <laughs> shot with great reverence, uh, which also my mom did not like. She did not find Michael Cera to be uh, the most, I guess, come hither of like, you know, young leading men. And she was just like, I am. She totally was playing like, I'm too old for this card. However, Webb, the happy ending, when you introduced Jennifer Garner, uh, she really dialed into that character. Okay. And I guess it did ground the film and it ended up being one of her like favorite experiences uh at the movies that year and i always love that i love because when i've had those where i'm like so taken aback and borderline appalled at what i'm watching and it's like is it the half hour mark when does it happen when it gets its like hooks into you and you're like totally taken away by the film and i was very happy that my mom like came around juno because you know as I said, she's a Tarantino fan. She can be a very aggressive woman at times. And so the, the tongue lashing I would have gotten, <laughs> having already seen Juno and dragging her to it. Uh, but she she loved Jennifer Garner in this. That was the, the character that she, I guess, identified with, who is not speaking uh, in Diablo Cody mannerisms. And usually, like, my mom is very befuddled by what Juno is talking about or why she's being so forward about things. 
You know, I think one of the cool things about this quirky slang that is introduced is that any generation could watch it. And because it doesn't belong, that slang doesn't belong to any generation, mm. every generation is going to be like, mm-hmm. wow, she is young. Because it's... That's a good point. Yeah, it it yeah. speaks to... And, and that's kind of the fear, right? There's a great scene in The Simpsons... Uh, the Way We Was episode where Homer and Marge, the origin of their love story, and Homer tells uh, Grandpa, Abe Simpson, is like, you're not with it, man. And Abe Simpson, in all his like wisdom, says, I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. <laughs> and that's exactly <laughs> how I think every grown-up generation is going to look at this at uh, that specific age group if you're above i don't know like 20 25 i i feel like you're gonna look at this and be like wow i don't understand what they're talking about and you're gonna get that feeling of yes she is way too young to be uh, uh going through the things that she's going through as to the point at which the film really sinks its teeth into you wow because i'm i'm such a fan of it and i right away right off the bat the chair the the orange tic tacs i'm all about it but i think maybe if i have to go back to my first viewing the first scene the ultrasound scene where alice and jenny tells off that technician i think that's mm-hmm. the point where i'm like okay all right i'm with it now uh, for whatever reason that awesome display that that defense of her you know of her stepdaughter for whatever reason it really uh, stuck with me and and it's a moment i always look forward to because yes this kid absolutely made this mistake uh going back to i don't know what kind of girl i am it's the perfect come of age line like this is exactly what this film is trying to find out and we're trying to explore who this person is and despite the fact that this person is going through this incredibly difficult scenario and because I've been through it too, this is the first time I'm watching it after the birth of my daughter. So all the little things, um, especially when I watched with my wife, she also was like, oh man, remember that? I was like, I do remember that. Going through such a difficult ordeal at such a young age and seeing Alice and Cheney come to her defense was really wonderful. And, and it, it felt like the soul of the movie was being revealed. Um, what? Actually, you know what? <laughs> Mine is much earlier, sir. Oh yeah, tell me. <laughs> like, I'm I'm not not a father. Never have been, you know. So I'm, I'm still attempting to be, I guess, with it. <laughs> like, but I don't, I don't know if I ever was with it, which is why, like, I, I fall so hard for the the Polly Bleeker character played by Michael Sierra, uh, so much so that privately I sent you uh, an old uh, Halloween picture where I was going full Polly Bleeker, even with the, the terrible attempt at a mustache growth, which uh, probably the digital cameras at the time came and picked that up, but. The headband, I had the T-shirt, the shorts, the yellow shorts, all of that. Um, it is probably after the opening credits, so I'm I'm into it quickly. When he comes out and sees Juno in the chair in the yard, she's assembled this living room set right in his front yard, and there's a tiger rug, and he comes out and says, "Not what the hell?" Or he doesn't even start like laughing, like, "Oh, what a good joke!" Like this is absurd. He just sees her. Uh, you know, this young girl that he really has great affection for sitting in this chair in this absurd situation, sees that tiger rug and says, wicked tiger. He looks proud like that. <laughs> I was like, this guy, <laughs> this is the coolest motherfucker to ever be on screen. I'm like, where does he have the wherewithal 
to be that, as I said, that Han Solo like where he's got the perfect response to the situation. Like, uh, and and I love the way they play Polly Bleeker that she sees him is like James Dean. <laughs> There's nothing about him, you know. I I agree with my mom. You watch him uh, getting his hot pocket absurdly before he goes out for a run which that that made me feel like oh to be young again when you could consume that and then go to exercise but she from her viewpoint he is the coolest character the coolest person that she's ever met and my favorite favorite scene i know i'm jumping ahead so i'm just i'm sort of bookending it with like i love this character uh is when she tells him how she feels at the end that he's like the coolest person in the fucking world and he doesn't even try. And he responds, actually, I, I try really hard. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But it's so, it's such an, to me at least, effortless performance from Michael Sarah. And I think that's probably been a, a black mark against him is it, there's the assumption that he's just kind of, oh, he's just kind of like playing awkward all the time. So that's kind of who he is. I, I don't know how you can play it that way without becoming sort of a caricature like sort of a stock nerdy guy character. Like it would be like in an eighties, I think teen comedy. And there's, there's such a weird mix with this character where he, he always remains genuine, aloof in a warm kind of way. Like, you know, he just seems like a, a good guy. And in the Diablo Cody, uh, Juno verse to do that with very little dialogue with <laughs> that tiger, he looks proud. Uh, I just, I, I, I've always had great affection for this character. Well, he has such strong convictions, no matter how awkward or unsure of himself he seems to be. Every dialogue, every scene with him, there's an incredible amount of confidence in what he believes. Maybe not the way that he represents it. Uh, and I think a great musical decision. Like the first time that you're introduced to this character, the kink song, a well-respected man is playing. And it's like, that's, that's him. (laughs) It's very different. Like, I I don't know how you were, but I think most teenagers in particular, young men, there's sort of that, that high fidelity uh, effect where they, they quickly latch on to other things that sort of came before them and say, this is what I'm about, whether it be like the music they're into for us, it would be movies, uh, whatever it is in pop culture, they're, they're looking to someone else to sort of guide them into, to manhood. And he's sort of an interesting character on like what you just said about him not being what we expect to look like outward confidence. But when he is challenged, (laughs) there's another funny bit where, you know, there's an argument between the two characters. There is kind of a, you know, somewhat of a three act structure of a, of a rom-com with their, with their relationship. You know, she, she has pushed him away. You know, he's even after the pregnancy, he, he doesn't flee from the situation. She doesn't become like an easy a where she, uh, you know, embraces this, this scarlet letter. It doesn't seem to affect her, but I think one of the best things about the film is it doesn't seem to affect him either. And we already see the sort of on his side of it, his parents, see her as a troublemaker like oh god you know how i feel about that that girl and he you know i think there's no big melodramatic scene where he like you know (laughs) like varsity blues with little dawson challenging his father like you know getting a glass of orange juice and with a terrible southern accent saying i don't want your life like there is (laughs) not that moment from polly bleaker uh although that would be that would be funny and winning to me you know, he, he remains like, he knows this is the person yeah. that he like, he, he just wants to hang out with her. And I think in those, like the way you spend your time and your youth, 
uh, those hangouts are very important. Who you want to like surround yourself with uh, is like an extension of yourself, especially when you're young, before your adult responsibilities come in. She pushes him away. And when he starts to see this other girl with a, a very fetching stink eye. Um, <laughs> the ones whose yeah, house Juno always tries... smells like soup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Juno tries to, she tries to, to, I guess, win. She tries to get a little dig in on him by saying that she just felt, felt sorry, sorry for Polly Bleeker. Like that he was like this virgin. She had to deflower. Uh, and like, there was nothing better to do. And, and you know me, Webb, I mean, both of us, his immediate response is, oh no, how dare you? Of course, there were other entertainment options because <laughs> the Blair Witch Project was coming on stars that night. So I know you actually really wanted to have sex with me because that's, that's a film that we would have been into. Like we could have watched that on stars. So you chose to have sex. And I, I mean, I, I had forgotten that I'm throwing my hands up in the air. Like, yes, preach Polly Bleeker. Like I, <laughs> I cannot imagine like a more like idyllic like teenage version of me like the, the nicest guy like i was never the guy i was far more of an asshole and prick like the high fidelity character that was or no offense to you Ab, going back to a previous episode like you berating someone for their love of hairspray <laughs> that was me as a teenager uh, i just did not have that quiet confidence that uh strangely Polly bleaker has and i do expect uh hyro of uh Marcus played in True Bromance, who has been responding to some of our material on Twitter to probably call me to task for admiring the character of Polly Bleeker. So as as someone in my 30s, like it is a strange infatuation, but I own up to it. that we have to talk about on my first viewing of this film i didn't see it or whatever i maybe i didn't want to see it maybe there's too much other wonderful goodness in this film that i i that overshadowed it and even in my second and third viewing it became more apparent and my last viewing for this podcast jason bateman no matter how charismatic he is in the scenes between him and juno Boy, it is. I, I'm just waiting for Juno to go complete, full on hard candy on his ass the way she did against poor uh, Patrick Wilson. I love Patrick Wilson. I, I think I would have been more sympathetic if this character was played <laughs> by Patrick Wilson. I've said on another podcast that he has the career, if I'd ever became an actor, that I'd envision for myself or I would aspire to because he has the, the best, oh shit what is happening face Patrick Wilson. Like he is <laughs> like his, his sort of dumbfounded reaction to things, no matter the material is something I wish I could replicate. I, I, I love Patrick Wilson as well. This is just a big love in for me of like, of male actors, but Jason, Jason Bateman. Yeah. He does a great job of really luring you in. And I think it also speaks to his on screen. I don't want to say chemistry, 
but interactions maybe with the with Jennifer Gardner's character because the two are just so different and you easily love Jason Bateman more. You just do because he's Michael from Arrested Development and you already love him and he's great and he's into these bands that are cool. He's a musician but a total sellout because he you, know, you just there's it's hard not to love him. And the scene with him and Juno dancing and the the baby bump between them and how he's slowly becoming more creepy as the film kind of goes along. And Allison Janney, in all her wisdom, even stated, you can't just go over there, Juno. Like, you don't know the dynamics uh, between, you know, a married couple and, and adding another and element to it. For her, uh, for her Yoda-like wisdom, this is without her. Like, it's not like she's making a judgment on the man because she's she never met them. She didn't go over like J.K. Simmons did to to meet this couple. So she's just actually just speaking, like in general, about like, you know, this. It's a little strange, you know, to to pop in and be exchanging mixed CDs with the, the grown man. And I, I'm totally on board with you as far as the way they they paint the Jennifer Garner character initially. You can't help but, uh, unless you're my mom, uh, <laughs> like her less because it appears that her husband is attempting to make some sort of connection to this young woman who is going to give them the literal gift of life of, of her child. Uh, and that just seems like let's treat this young lady like a person and not not just you know having the lawyer there, like let's get this on paper, uh, Jennifer Garner – you know, doesn't really seem to have many conversations with her unless it's in regards to this transactional relationship they're going to have where they, where she's going to hand over this newborn. But yeah, I don't know. Like this has been like the episode where we're talking about like what point in the film you, you, you change or your view of the characters change. And it's definitely before the, 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 the dance moment where yeah the, the grooming aspect of the Bateman character um, becomes decidedly uncomfortable. I think probably even more uncomfortable now in our society than maybe even in 2007 with the post, uh, or maybe not even post, but you know certainly after the the Me Too movement has started. Um, you know, it goes back to what we were talking to earlier. Like my my love uh, and that confidence you're talking about, Polly Bleeker, is something that this older man clearly has never attained. Like he is so desperate <laughs> to still be with it that. He has no, like, I mean, to put it in basic terms, he has, like, no sense of, like, decency, like, here. Like, when Juno reacts very strongly uh, to this, like, him coming onto her and basically suggesting they're going to start a life together, the 16-year-old, like, he, he responds, how do you think of me? And it's, like, it's said, like, dude, <laughs> like, Allison Janney feels a disturbance in the force without having <laughs> met you. What are you talking about? And she responds back, but you're old. And <laughs> yeah. He looks so incredibly wounded when she says that. And yet it's the most, like, it's not personal. It is, like, the most obvious statement of fact that it's, like, you were in a different time in your life and you need to realize that. And I love Jennifer Garner telling him your shirt is stupid. Like, you're never going to be Kurt Cobain. And it's it's like, it's it's really condemning that, I guess, that sort of man-baby aspect of, I don't know, Webb, when do you think that generational shift happened where it's like, and maybe not just men, but all of us, it's like we just aspire to act or maintain the sense of youth that is so obviously passed us by. And like, I can't imagine my father 
ever trying to keep up with like what's hip in music or being on Twitter. Like, you know what I mean? I just can't imagine that. And yet here I am. And I'm like, why am I surrounding myself with this? Why, why are a bunch of 40 year olds trying to convince each other that we're all 20? You know, that's a great point. And I think the internet has a lot to do with that. Things like video games and comic books, all of a sudden these things that are, I guess, supposed to be aimed at younger audiences are being made for grownups you know, Zack Snyder has stated, you know, very emphatically to to Scott Mendelson, "Hey, the Justice League, <laughs> the Snyder Cut is for grownups. Okay, it's not about Saturday the, morning uh, cartoons." The Batman backhand, didn't he? Like, poor Scott Mendelson was Robin from that <laughs> often passed around <laughs> meme. <laughs> That's right, and so I think that has a lot to do with it. I mean, you can look at my my my. I've got three bookshelves in my bedroom right now. And two of them are filled with everything from, you know, Tintin to Ghost World to From Hell, Sin City. And then I've got one bookshelf over here that's got, like, Jane Austen and, like, you know, proper literature. So yeah, yeah. I do wonder. You're, you're right. And with the, and with the internet, and, oh, gosh, I had a moment with, with I think, a 14-year-old on, on Reddit <laughs> just a couple days ago. Now, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> Not like Jason Bateman's character here. You weren't no. slow dancing. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was on the Batman uh, subreddit. <laughs> if this ends with, you know, user web is trying, responding to responding this 14 year old. How do you think of me? <laughs> like, like, I, we'll have to, we'll have to stop this uh, production, but continue. I, I simply asked the young gentleman if he'd like to be my ward. What happened? <laughs> well, some uh, this person posted on the on the Batman subreddit saying, "I just watched The Dark Knight for the first time," and I'm like, "Oh my god!" But he would, and and he he expanded upon it, saying that, "Oh, you know, I was kind of worried. Uh, my mom wouldn't let me watch it because she felt like it was too grown up." But she finally kind of let me, and I was like, "Holy cow!" And, you know, I responded, I was like, hey, man, I'm glad you liked it. He was just getting people like, hey, how did you guys like it? I'm about to watch Rises. And and Rises gets a lot of hate from everybody. I don't know why. Anyways. It's my favorite. It's my favorite of that trilogy. I, I, that's the one I really I really like to, to revisit. I like it a lot. I like it a lot more than I think the average fan. I can't put it above Dark Knight. But the be, be, I, other thing is like Batman Begins. I was like, okay, fine. It's great. And then Dark Knight was kind of on another level. Like, I didn't have the love for Batman Begins the way other people did. And so he mentioned, he's like, yeah, I'm about to watch The Dark Knight Rises next. And I was like, hey, man, go into it with an open mind. It's not as clean as The Dark Knight is. Dark Knight was really more of a crime saga, as Nolan put it. And Nolan wanted to make, like, a disaster film with with mm-hmm. Rises. So go into that. And so I, after having this, like, brief exchange, and he was like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. I'll, I'll get to it. After having that exchange, I really thought about it. I was like, wow, this kid, like, he's, he's, like, half my age, and we're kind of talking about this, the same thing, and then he's having the same kind of emotional reaction to a film that I still have to this day. Like, I can, I can put on The Dark Knight and start to finish and still feel like this is the first time I'm watching it, because, you know, as we have established, Nolan's a great film uh, director, we not enjoy. as good as Linklater, but yes. No, of course, of course not. Of course not. What he can do with with a fraction of the budget. 
I can, also he's I... not trying to kill you that Richard Link. <laughs> <laughs> he's That's not <laughs> actively wanting you to die for his new content. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And I'm still as passionate about Batman as I guess I was when I was 14. So you're right. I, I don't quite know when that shift happened, but I want to say in the past decade or so with the with the normalization that like, hey, comics are for everybody. Video games are for everybody. And I, I still get that from my parents. Like, why are you still spending money on these things? I'm like, the video game is a billion dollar industry that's not just target. People make careers out of playing video games now. Uh, and and that's kind of I guess where J- that's what Jason Bateman kind of represents, and maybe Diablo Cody was a little ahead of the curve when she wrote this character. And going back to what you said about seeing like the Me Too movement movement happen, and this film came before it, all those little signs I see way clearly now. And maybe that mm-hmm. speaks to you know what the Me Too movement, how it's educated me, and I, I, I'm thrilled every time she you're right she says that you're old and and he kind of sits down i think the character and is just like i don't know what i was thinking she's so young and he has that realization and thank goodness that juno is a smart and brave enough character even though she doesn't realize in the beginning like i don't know what kind of girl i am she's showing us the girl she is in that moment so uh, i'm thrilled that that's where the film ends up Forgive me 